filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster I know this is a weird position to take as a podcaster, and especially because I've given you, Jason, a lot of stick over the years for for being a Luddite, but technology is bad. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not quite a Luddite, but I definitely try and minimize uh, the number of technologies I have to access because they always seem to fail. Um yeah your your worldview is starting to make a lot of sense right yeah. now. Uh, ben Bromley is not here tonight because of internet issues. Um, our our first segment we we pre-recorded. Uh, you're gonna hear that soon enough. Um, it is plagued with technical problems that I, I think it's probably just best if Ben doesn't try to fix them and we just throw it out there <laughs> naked for everyone to see. Um, I think it's still listenable. We you know, Dave and Duncan did a good job covering and recovering. They, and they, reco- they covered for the fact that technology was throwing them off left and right extremely well. Uh, given that there's no forewarning, you don't get told that you're about to be dropped for no reason. You just are off the, the air for no reason. And the then air. they would pop back on. Yeah. Sometimes only momentarily. <laughs> sometimes there'd be emails flying back and forth in the background. It was an interesting segment. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, but yeah, technology, it's it's rough, man. I know it, it the platform we're recording on doesn't even activate my my webcam the way it's supposed to. Yeah, and, and for no like that one we have no reason for that to not work. No, it works with other apps, just not um, this one. But what are you gonna do? We're gonna talk about it. That's what yeah, we're gonna do. I guess so. Uh it it doesn't work and it's bad for us. <laughs> to, to to do this show it, it's not ideal for uh i mean ben ben usually uh is the producer and by usually i mean always and he's not here uh so he's gonna have to parse through this whole thing um good luck to him yeah, I, yeah. Um, speed ben bromley but i mean he doesn't ha- i hope it's good he doesn't have an, uh, a solid internet connection right now so i don't know how he's going to find these files unless he does it during his day job, uh, if you which he would with, never do, if you work with Ben and you rat him out, I will come to your house with eggs. I'm throwing those eggs at your house. Don't rat Ben out if he's doing this for the podcast. If uh, you work in, if you work with Ben, you probably live in Virginia, and Jason will egg houses in Virginia. <laughs> that will you, not stop him. He won't come you to rat Ben out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a special trip. I'll, I'll raise the war flag on my car and enter Virginia. What is, is custom? What is the war flag? I'm uh, curious. I'm forgetting. I, I think there's like a, a maritime term for when you uh, raise the flags of war to to convey to other boats that you are ready for fighting and not just uh, sailing along. Sure. I um, mean, it's I, a piracy I, thing or something that I don't know a lot about. Um, see, I know Marylanders love their flag, 
but that's right. not a war flag. That's just the everyday flag. What is the Maryland? Um, the Maryland, the Marylander driving into Virginia to egg houses war flag. Yes, that is the flag. Um, I'm curious what it looks like. I, I'm guessing it would be uh, maybe like instead of a skull and crossbones, you'd have an egg where the skull would go. And then instead of the bones, you'd have like two crab claws. <laughs> um, but yes. like underneath it, not crossed because cross, crossed crab claws just look like a circle. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know. It would take some graphic design. Uh, I, I haven't made this flag um, yet. Question. I would like our listeners, if any listeners want to design the Maryland going to war by throwing eggs at a house in Maryland um, to protect the honor of your co-podcaster, <laughs> that flag yeah. needs to yes. be made. Please design that flag. Please design uh, that. Please um, spend many hours uh, lovingly designing it. And even or if you don't spend many hours. Like a ten- or do it in like under 10 minutes. Yeah, at least follow 99% Invisible's instructions for, for designing a good flag. We will have we will not have bad examples of vexillology on this podcast. If you give us a good example, we will definitely highlight it one way or another. But but don't give us bad bad examples of vexillology. We have standards. Sure. Side note, sure, we, we do. do not have standards on this podcast. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Bad Vexillology and DC United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson. As you could probably figure out, Ben Bromley is not with us because I explicitly said he wasn't with us tonight. He's having some uh, technical difficulties of his own down there in Richmond and or the Richmond area anyway. Um, and, and so he won't be joining us tonight. Uh, instead, we are uh, going to be joined, at least intermittently, for the first segment by uh, Dave Clark and Duncan Fletcher to preview this weekend's MLS Cup. That's Saturday, ESPN, 4 p.m. or Unimas. Same time. They don't, you know, the language changes, but the, the time doesn't. That was an open question, Jason. I just I just clarified understanding for one of our listeners, at least with that one. Uh, in the second segment, we are going to talk about DC United and their offseason so far. Before we do anything, though, Jason, you have a very nice looking snifter there. What are you drinking? Uh, I have uh, I, I chose a beer that's an interesting contrast because of the fact that this MLS Cup is uh, evolving Toronto FC. So I have a Canadian beer, which might appear that I'm choosing Toronto FC, but it is a Quebecois beer. It is uh, Unibrow's uh, Grand Reserve uh, 17. Which Sorry, did you just say Unibrow? Yes. Uh, I don't know how to speak uh, French, so I'm probably mispronouncing their... The, I mean, their, I'm not sure you are. It sounds like an obvious kind it's of French. U-N-I-B-R-O-U-E. Um, so I don't know. I'm probably getting it wrong in some way and, and can be clowned for my uh, poor French. Or more specifically, my poor Quebecois French. Um, which I know even less of. Um, but anyway, uh, this is a Belgian-style dark ale. Um, what is it? Uh, brewed with spices, aged with French oak. Um, and uh, I've got to say, it's pretty spectacular. I have never had it before. Uh, I've never had their Grand Reserve of any kind. Um, but this one, uh, I highly recommend if you can find it. Um there is no label. Uh, it's just a brown bottle with a little bit of uh, light orange writing, um, and that's it. So they kept it very simple. But if you find it, uh, you should buy it and drink it. 
also it's a 10% uh ABV so uh it'll it'll do the job. Snifter's the right glass for that one. Mhm. No doubt. I am I am less classy just drinking out of the bottle. Dogfish head Indian brown dark IPA. Uh when you said you were less classy, I was hoping it was going to be like Miller High Life. <laughs> it, that is the champagne of beers, sir. It is, and I've <laughs> I've consumed maybe more High Life than is reasonable in my time. Uh, no, I I went with the darker beer. Uh, this is the last bottle of it I had in the fridge, and I said, "Sure, why not?" I was I was thinking about doing some spiked eggnog, um, which isn't real eggnog that I whipped up out of egg whites or anything. It was just store-bought nog with a shot <laughs> poured into it. Maybe some nutmeg grated over it. But uh, I went with the beer instead. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty comfortable with that decision right now. I I had a friend uh, over the um, Thanksgiving holiday at his in-laws, and I guess he's found that his in-laws don't make um, – they, they don't really make food very much, so they're not very good at it. Um, they don't have very good – like he, he brought a knife with him because they don't have a good knife to chop things. Um, he brought a pan, I think for part of the Thanksgiving preparations, like they don't have a good pan. So I'm bringing it. Um, but he, one of the things he did was he taught them how to make, uh, eggnog from scratch. And he did just, they all uh, die of food poisoning. No, everyone's still alive. That's um, good. but he sent he sent a photo of just this like torso sized bo- mixing bowl. Um, it was just that someone was stirring it and there's like four photo or there's like four empty bottles of like apricot brandy nearby and then one can of natural light. Um, <laughs> and I was like, did the natural light get into the eggnog? He's like, look, we made a bunch of eggnog. The natural light may or may not have gotten in there. I don't know. Um, I know that I know the can was there and then later it was empty and I didn't have an explanation for where that went. So there might be some natty light in that eggnog, but everyone drank it. Uh, so and they lived. Yeah. Um, so maybe Natty Light is just the, uh, the secret ingredient, uh, for eggnog success or, uh, or not. I don't know. It's a 50, 50 chance. Uh, <laughs> I've had lots of homemade <laughs> eggnog over the years. None of which you never tried it. I you? know of had <laughs> Natty Light in it. Right. Um, so I'm going to assume it's not the secret ingredient to success, but it may have not ruined at least one batch of eggnog, which, you know what? That's that's not bad. They're doing okay. I, you're still walking around on two legs at this point. You've got to be fairly grateful. Sure. These are uh, dark times. The show is still going to be bleak. And on that note, let's uh, <laughs> turn to MLS Cup. Let's jump right in to uh, the biggest and last game of the 2017 season. It's this Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. I have to say that because we have uh, a a West Coast guest on. As everyone who's been paying attention already knows, MLS Cup this year is a rematch of last year's final Seattle at Toronto. And uh, to help us preview it, we have uh, two good friends of ours on the show. Uh, Dave Clark from Sounder at Heart has been kind enough to uh, walk his dog and at exactly the right time to join us on the show. And Duncan Fletcher from the Vocal Minority Podcast up there in Toronto is also here. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Hello. Yeah, Duncan, uh, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking uh, Across the Pond. It's an English special ale from High Park Brewery, a uh, local Toronto thing. It 
sounds like it suits you perfectly. It's delicious. Dave. I've got Boulder Shake Chocolate Porter, mainly because I have a lot of it extra from when I was selling it. So now my fridge is full of it. That, that's, that sounds I, like a good problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, it's the inexpensive option. So there it is. I wish I had that problem. I also had, wish I had the problem of, you know, stressing about this weekend's <laughs> game, but that wasn't in the cards this year. <laughs> it wasn't in the cards months ago. Yeah. It, I've had a long time to come to terms with, with this reality. Uh, I want to start off with with a question that a lot of people have been been bringing up. Last year's game obviously ended scoreless after regulation and extra time went to penalty kicks. Uh, I want to know why that's not going to be the case this year. Dave, why is this game not going to end 0-0? Because both teams are a lot better. I mean, the amount of talent that each side brought in is significant. Uh, I would say Seattle added more talent. Clint Dempsey actually being a player as opposed to a heart patient is a significant change. And I I think you saw Seattle against Houston, which had a pretty good defense over the season, uh, played quite aggressive. Seattle in the second leg against Vancouver when they were a little healthier was quite aggressive. The seven goals in uh, four playoff games uh, shows me that the Sounders aren't the 2016 Sounders, which just – tried to win every playoff series by a single goal. This is a different team. Duncan, how about you? Why won't your Reds uh, fail to find the net? We lost them, didn't we? Uh, yeah, it is showing loss now. Uh, I'll answer. Victor Vasquez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. I probably shouldn't drop. Uh, no, you can. Okay, cool. I mean, the, the dude's slick. Like, yeah, I'm uh, having to stop three players is significantly more difficult than trying to stop two. And even though I'm very confident in Seattle's ability to do it, I mean, they have the longest playoff shutout streak in MLS history by more than by 270 minutes over the second best team on that record. Um, it's still going to be a lot more difficult difficult victor vasquez is uh such a great creative player and i mean i you that saw goal, that, that josie goal against columbus yeah. was his calmness in the box was unreal you saw all the mvp votes that came in and i, I don't victor vasquez to me was the most valuable player on that team this year he's why they set the, that record for points scored that he's the change and yeah, and I say that both it's both Seattle and Toronto are better. Uh, it's primarily Vasquez on the uh, the Toronto side. I think we got Duncan back and lost him again. Yeah, um, uh, I'm oh, here yes. now. He's yes, saying, we hear you. Perfect. Okay. Wonderful right. time. So the question was why the final won't suck this year. Why? Yeah. Right? Why won't it end without a goal on on Toronto's end? Um, I'm not convinced that it won't. Um, <laughs> and you look at like Seattle, they're doing very well defensively recently. Uh, so, you know, why wouldn't it? You know, Victor Vasquez is good. Um, you know, hopefully Seattle are going to be a bit more, 
attacking than they were last year, and that might give us a chance. Or, you know, Jovinko hasn't been doing a lot recently, but he's been scoring free kicks, so there's a chance there. Um, you know, things could happen. That's, that's about all I got. <laughs> Jason? Uh, yeah, um... I guess when I when I've been reading about this, a lot of what I've been reading has been about either about last year or about the Greg Vanny quote um, hinting that Seattle hadn't gone through as much uh, in their path to MLS Cup and therefore might not be ready for the uh, playoff intensity, though the playoffs started in the last week of October. Um, So I, I know I have my issues with the quote based just on the sheer length of time the playoffs have taken. Um, but I wanted to know from 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 both of you uh, if you felt that had any merit at all, or if it was just uh, an attempt to play some mind games in the media, or or if there's anything to it uh, worth discussing, or if we're just sort of wasting our time dealing with it. Uh, I think it has some merit. I mean, mainly from Toronto's side, I think it has merit. I mean, last year was like all fun and games, like 17 goals in five games, just running through three teams with large shit show tendencies. And then, you know, we came up against a a team that was set to play defensively, that could play defensively, was in good form, and all of a sudden we couldn't really do it. Um, whereas, yeah, this year, you know, it hasn't looked anywhere near as impressive, but it's been a lot tougher. So I kind of agree with him. But on the Toronto side of things, we'd be a lot better set, I think, than we were last year. And Seattle, eh, I think both of their games, once they scored the first goal, those ties were over because neither Vancouver or Houston had any fucking hope of uh, kind of coming back and overtaking them because both teams are kind of hopeless. So I think there's something to it, but not much. I don't know that – I mean, when you look at Clint Dempsey, do you think that he lacks intensity? When you look at – the Seattle Sounders team that beat him last year. Do you think that they lack intensity? I don't know. I don't, I don't, to me, that part was dumb to note that Toronto had to face the East, which was better than the West hands down this season. That's important. Like that's valid. And I think it was just a rather inexperienced coach, uh, not doing coach speak cliche, pragmatic words without meaning kind of thing. Um, you know, more experienced coaches would just use plaudits and not say anything and they wouldn't make the mistake. At the same time, Brian Schmetzer was asked about it. And he goes, if you think we need bulletin board material, you've ignored our team. And he looked right at me who had tweeted out, <laughs> here's the bulletin board material. And I'm like, Oh, damn it. <laughs> I mean, it would, it's almost like a, uh, it, it, with other teams, you might have just heard the, you know, well, Seattle's a very good team. We respect them very much, and uh, it'll be a tough game. Um, yeah. It almost – it would be kind of funny if someone just kept saying that every single time they were asked uh, – given a given a chance to put up some bulletin board material, just keep going with uh, the extreme cliche. Um, well, I mean, Brian Schmetzer does say that about every team he faces. He said it about D.C. Like, <laughs> like, they're a good team. They're that game, players. that game was uh, tough for a little while. <laughs> yeah, it's still, it's still kind uh, of hurts. 
it, it more than kind of hurts that game. <laughs> I don't want to think about that game. I, I had managed not to think about that game until right now today. And now I'm just, if, Sorry, if you it, hear it, sobs in the background, just I, I wasn't ignore. bringing it up about that game um, per se, <laughs> but it, it's actually probably the turning point for Seattle's season. Um, so it was, it's, re- but, it is relevant to the end. Glad to be of service. Yeah. It was, it was a straight <laughs> line point for DC United yeah, season. For both of those teams. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Dave, you mentioned that, that the two coaches have a different approach to, to the media, certainly, but they've both been, um, pragmatic on tactics in these playoffs. Uh, Brian Schmetzer willing to move Nico Lodero, who was the, attacking revelation of the year last year, uh, moving all around the midfield, defensive midfield, wherever. Um, whereas Greg Vanny uh, for Toronto has, you know, been, been more than happy to step away from that three back that, that got them all the way through the best regular season in league history. What should we expect at the opening whistle from each of your, your teams? Duncan, why don't you go first? Or Dave, why don't you go first? <laughs> All right. Well, well, Duncan looks for a shot on goal. I'll uh, see. That's funny because of last year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, I think what you're actually going to see is something more similar to the Houston game. I think you're going to see Seattle uh, burst out and try to score early. Uh, then, with who's healthy and able to contribute, it just looks more likely that Seattle will use uh, one possession. And two, they have the ability to uh, to strike quickly. Then they do like to uh, attack this year, um, despite the third best defense in the league. Uh, it, it's really when healthy, um, this is a team that enjoys attacking out of that defensive shape. And I don't, I expect them to do that in MLS Cup this year. We went over that when I asked when you asked why it won't be the zero zero boredom. Where do you think Lodero runs out in this one? Uh, the attacking band with Victor Rodriguez and Clint Dempsey. with Because uh, you don't want to break up Ramon Torres and, and uh, Chad Marshall. Uh, they're possibly the best uh, center back pair in the league. And so you'll have two stops Vincent sitting in front of them as a shield. Christian Roldan running around collecting every loose ball within 80 yards. Uh, Jovan Jones and Kelvin Leardham rushing forward to enter the attack. So it's uh, that's kind of how they are best. Um, I've referred to their defense as the Pentagon, with uh, the five points being uh, Stephen Fry, the two center backs, and the two defensive midfield. And that's where their strength lies. And then you've got Clint and Victor and uh, Nico there to steer the attack. Duncan, how will the Reds come out in in this one? Will Will Greg Vanny move away from that three man backline uh, against Seattle, like he had to do in the middle of the game against Columbus, or are are we going to see Toronto in that three four one two? Yeah, I can't see them going away from that at this stage. Um, I mean, obviously, like Justin Morrow getting forwards uh, and like Stephen Bedashar or Nicholas Hustle to an extent has been a big part of the attack. So. Um, yeah, I think it's not really time to be reinventing everything. I mean, we'll see how it goes and they can maybe readjust. But, 
yeah, I imagine that um, you know there's going to be the three centre backs. Probably Michael Bradley will be very defensive like with them as well, because um, you know there's obviously sort of Dempsey and uh, Lodeiro, that sort of Rodriguez, whoever. There's a lot of dangerous people, and then you know Will Bruin, not particularly dangerous, but doing Will Bruin things uh, from as well. So there's uh, you know, plenty of things to be. Uh, keeping an eye on at the back there, and it's you know, it's what's worked so far this year. So go with that and make changes if needs be. But I would be stunned if it's not the three centre backs to start off at least. Uh, guys, I I my question is more about not about the start of the game, but more of a a scenario of how things. Uh, could go towards the end. Um, I'm thinking like 72nd minute. Um, you, your team finds itself down a goal. Hopefully, we're talking two one rather than one nothing, um, or maybe five four. Uh, either way, hey, any goals, any goals. I'm get, why not get greedy then? That's why I'm, I'm saying maybe five four. It's just as likely. Um, what is your team doing around that time? What is what is their uh, main i mean obviously it's going to be multiple adjustments for everybody but what is the main thing they're going to do to change the game and and pull themselves back into it if if that's the scenario they find themselves in i would say that for toronto toasting rickets is the obvious uh answer to that um you know if they are down and really needing a goal there's a good chance they take off one of the center backs probably zavaleta and uh you know move Altador and Ricketts up front, and then you know have Jovinko maybe drop a little further back. So he's basically kind of more or less like there with Vasquez like behind the front two. Um, so that would be the sort of desperate Hail Mary thing. Would be yeah, take off one of the centre backs, throw on an extra forward. Uh, it's probably going to be Ricketts. Uh, the other option, Raheem Edwards, uh, is a possibility as well. He had a good run in the middle of the season. Hasn't played a lot like, towards the end of the season or in the playoffs at all, but you know, if times are desperate, there's uh, be a good chance that they'd see him thrown out there as well. It's interesting that, that you mentioned uh, Zavaleta since he's um, been subbed out a couple times uh, in the playoffs, um, and I, I believe subbed out maybe three times in the playoffs, um, which generally with a defender, you don't normally see that, but the way that TFC has approached things, he ends up being, regardless of whether they move to the diamond or whether they just want to bring in an attacker, it seems like he's the player that ends up being the uh, the fall guy and, and has to come out uh, to, to make that move. It's sort of interesting how no matter what the move is, um, last week, or not last week, whenever the previous playoff game was in the uh, Stone Ages, um, it was Marky Delgado coming in. Um, but it's interesting how it's always the same player coming out, but it's it's a variety of players coming in, though I do agree that um, Ricketts uh, is, uh, you know, uh, definitely changes things up front, given that he is faster than Altador Giovinco by uh, a good margin. Um, it definitely changes uh, the way TFC goes forward. Um, Dave, are, are you, can you hear me? No, I think we lost Dave. We did lose this Dave. Time. All right. yeah. uh, this has been today between us. Yeah. Right. As soon as one of you starts talking, the other one gets booted. Um, I mean, you say so, talk about Zavaleta always being subbed off. I mean, I think he is in centre backs is where the the obvious surplus is mm-hmm. if we need to change things around, and he's the obvious 
third centre-back. I think you definitely keep Drew Moore out there. And Chris Navinger has been very good all year. And so, yeah, it's either you know, Zavaleta or Nick Hagland if he's playing as the obvious third guy. So if you need to change the formation, that's the one obvious place to be taking someone from. So you know, it's uh, perhaps unfair because, you know, Zavaleta's had a very good, solid, reliable year. But, uh, yeah, such, a show, such is the game. Yeah. And, and- Make for some awkward... Uh, Christmas family gatherings or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, um, Wait, wait, it's um, Vanny's his uncle. Yes. Yes. I wanted to make sure I had the right um, uh, involvement, whether it was uncle or father-in-law or something like that. Yeah, um, we, we used to call him the the nifty nephew, but you know, he's <laughs> he's done well enough to fully put aside any nepotism charges. He's uh, he's worth his spot out there for sure. It's it's interesting. You also mentioned Nick Hagland, who, um, you know, in that that second leg, Zavaleta was subbed out. TFC then got themselves in the league, and then Hagland went in, um, uh, which is a uh, it's an interesting thing. Especially, I mean, for our listeners, we're kind of used to seeing four two three one no matter what. Um, it's just a matter of like we'll just add more attacking players to the same structure, whereas. A TFC game, I know when I watch them, I take notes on what the sub meant, like what did it actually do, and it's always – there's always something changing. There's always somebody shifting around. Um, you know, Justin Morrow has played as a center back in his time. Um, there's always something being adjusted, um, and it's it's a fascinating thing. It's, it's something that didn't used to happen very much in MLS is having this many coaches act like Vanny where he wants to move the pieces around all the time, almost um, – in my mind, I, I want to say almost as a to a, to the point of being a, a tinkerer and it being a, maybe a flaw. But so far, obviously, um, a supporter shield uh, record setting number of points in two straight MLS Cup appearances. I, I don't think I can actually say it's a flaw. I think um, that actually ties back into what Dave said back at the beginning of the segment. the The players are better, and that's yeah. something you can do when the players are better. You can yeah, sure, ask them to to make tactical adjustments on the fly. That's mm-hmm. not something that, you know, uh, I'm not going to pick any names of fringe, former fringe MLSers who are no longer in the league. Um, but think of your favorite one of those. He probably wasn't able to, wouldn't have been able to adjust the way that, that TFC has to those kind of on the fly changes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Nick Hagland as well. To go back to a previous question, mm-hmm. if TFC gets really, really desperate and really needs a goal, there's a good chance that Nick Hagland gets put on and basically thrown in on up front and we just start launching crosses in towards him. The old yeah, Steve Birdbomb maneuver. Yeah, yeah, we that down here. If Greg um, Vanny goes to the 1980s England page of his <laughs> football student textbook, lump it up to the big man up front, yeah. Nick Hagland uh, would be the guy for that. I, I hope in that textbook it just says in large letters, uh, put the big man up top. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then the yeah, heading, put it in the mixer. Yeah. Exactly, yes. <laughs> it's a two-part, it's a two-part uh, lesson. Very complicated. <laughs> uh, I think but- before the internet destroys what's left of this podcast. Um, <laughs> given that three-fifths of the people who are supposed to be on this segment have at various times not been on this segment due to technology, let's let's 
end this thing. Duncan, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at uh, Duncan D. Fletcher. Uh, mainly, you can find my work. It's the uh, Vocal Minority Podcast, so uh, just www.vocalminority.ca. And, uh, yeah, this podcast is pretty much it. I don't really do any writing these days, so uh, that's that's where I am. I, I get that feel, not writing as much and just doing the podcasting. That's where I am as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave hasn't been able to rejoin the the segment, but I can tell you that he is uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. He's probably hosting Dungeons and Dragons by now. Uh, he, he's, as near as I can tell, a very good dungeon master. Uh, but he's uh, the managing editor over at Sounder at Heart. He's on the No Sadietes podcast that's associated with them. And you can also find him on Twitter, as I look this up frantically, at better than, B-E-D-I-R-T-H-A-N, uh, is where you can find him on Twitter. Uh, we will be right back to talk about DC United's offseason, assuming that is the internet and this podcast still exist after this message. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. And because this is a DC United podcast, we're going to talk about DC United and their offseason. It may not be as pressing or as time sensitive as the MLS Cup final this weekend, but damn it, it deserves to be talked about too. And uh, one of the first things that the the teams in the final, Toronto and Seattle, one of the, the first things they'll do afterward, after they're done celebrating or done drinking away the pain, they're going to unveil or they're going to tell the players which ones of them will be exposed for the expansion draft uh, that will involve LAFC getting their first, well, getting five players anyway. Uh, And here on SB Nation, uh, by the time you hear this, it should already be out that uh, Angels on Parade, our new our LAFC site, is doing their own expansion draft. And we came up with a protected list for DC United. And uh, 
it, well, I say we came up with the list kind of wrote itself, but, but we <laughs> made sure that it did. So we, we were the taskmasters behind making that happen. And specifically Jason was, was taskmaster number one. Um, I, I know Jason, there was, you know, you, you put a lot of work, a lot of thought into it. And then the list was just kind of there. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, we try and take this thing to its uh, logical extreme, which is that if you're doing a protected list, if you're running an actual MLS team, it's not one person making all the decisions by themselves. They talk and uh, consult with the other members of the their soccer decision-making in their respective teams, however it's organized. Um, so I, I put together a list and put it to the entire staff, and everyone's like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the that list. <laughs> yeah. So to be clear, so there are, there are certain rules in the list, uh, in, in the expansion list um, set up. Number one, anyone who has not graduated from Generation Adidas or is on their initial homegrown contract is exempt. Right. You don't have to protect them. They cannot be selected. Um, new this year, apparently players who have left the league and whose rights a team has retained by making a bona fide offer to them. Uh, they don't have to be protected. That wasn't the case in the past when yeah. Jonathan Bornstein was selected in an expansion draft, despite having gone to uh, Mexico. Right. And uh, Portland uh, expansion draft. Yeah, that's right. He is not Portland's been in the league uh, a while now. And Jonathan Bornstein has not returned <laughs> to right. MLS. So who knows whether that was a good, good choice or not. Uh, finally, there there is a minimum number of international players you have to protect. Uh, essentially, it, it's essentially three, right? Uh, it's three unless you have three or fewer, right? Um, in DC's case, it's three, right? Uh, apologies for any crying you may hear in the background. My my neighbor's child. It's actually not mine. Uh, <laughs> my neighbor's child is having a a rough time sleeping tonight. I hope. Hope he gets to sleep. He's he was a nice kid when I met him. He deserves to sleep. His parents deserve for him to sleep. All parents deserve for their kids to sleep. I'm getting off track. <laughs> so with with these expansion draft protected list rules, it, it worked out that out of the players that are definitely under contract with DC United for 2018, there are a grand total of two yeah. that will not be protected, that will be exposed. So guys like Sean Franklin, who we know are not going to be re-signed, at least at their their previous level, are are going to be exposed, and and that's to be expected. Why would you ex- why would you protect a player you don't intend right. to bring back? Um, and and so the two we exposed, or the two that that we found exposed at the end of the list making exercise, were Jared Jeffrey and Travis Warad. Jason, do you want to quickly go through the protected list, and then we can sure. talk about why the the two names that ended off ended up outside of the names did? All right. So the the full list of eleven um, is I'm, I'm going to go in alphabetical order: uh, Luciano Acosta, Paul Ariola, Steve Birnbaum, Russell Knaus, Steve Clark, Nick DeLeon, Taylor Kemp, uh, Bruno Miranda. Patrick Mullins, Kofi Opare, and Zoltan Schieber. 
um, because we did not have to protect Chris Durkin, Ian Harks, or Jalen Robinson. Um, technically, we didn't have to protect Julian Pusher as of now because uh, the league hasn't announced who the Generation Adidas graduates are for this year. Last year, they did it on November 1st, and this year it's December 5th, and they still just haven't said anything either way. Um, so as of now, Buescher is still in the Generation Adidas program, regardless of the fact that he's not coming back to DC United from all, all uh, you know, all signs that they are not asking him back. Um, they still don't have to protect him. Um, and I believe he's still exempt in this process. I don't think that LAFC can pick him through uh, the expansion draft. Um, but yeah, it does leave us with the option of, dropping one of those players I mentioned uh, that are on the list for a player that is either not coming back definitively or is someone that might be brought back in the future with um, DC's variety of, uh, you know, will they or won't they guys that they, they, they were very careful in the way they worded it. And the way they worded it was that um, certain players are still under consideration for future offers, uh, I believe was, is close to the language that's in there, um, which means like guys like Lloyd Sam and Chris Odoyachim, um, uh, Marcelo Sarvas was mentioned in that group. Um, and I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. It was four players and it's only, they've only mentioned three. Anyway, um, we're not, it was pretty easy to decide not to protect guys that we know are either not coming back or maybe are coming back. Maybe not. Um, you might as well just protect the guys that were deemed uh, essential. Um, we did have to protect three internationals, uh, but given that DC had only four to choose from, and one of them include DeShorn, included DeShorn Brown, who we knew is not coming back, uh, it made it pretty easy to choose Acosta, uh, Stieber, and Miranda. Uh, <laughs> it made it maybe laughably easy to, to make that choice. Yeah, in years past, uh, number one, there have been more teams involved with the expansion draft. So last year with Atlanta and Minnesota coming in, there were going to be 10 players selected from the league, not just five. And in drafts before that there, it was 10 players per team being selected. This is actually as, as big of a pain as the expansion draft is. Um, This is a, a more palatable version than, than we had to deal with in the past. And in those past years, DC United has made trades to send players in advance to an expansion team in exchange for not picking anybody else from from the team or or basically said, we will leave this player exposed so that you can pick them. Just don't pick anybody else. OK, that was kind of the Lewis Neal. Yeah. As near as I could tell, he was he he wanted to go back to Orlando, maybe. And they definitely had an affinity for him uh, from their USL days. But. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year because there's two guys, right? And Jared Jeffrey and Travis Wara probably and, aren't guys that LAFC is that Bob Bradley is going to be interested in picking up. Right. And there's no strategic reason because, you know, um, one thing I left out, there's an article on the site detailing our thought process. But one thing I left out is that, you know, someone like Patrick Miyako, let's say, in the next month, his condition clears up, um, or maybe tomorrow his condition is magically cleared up. He has no concussion symptoms anymore. He's given a clean bill of health by doctors, and he decides he would like to keep playing. That's an ideal scenario. 
Um, but he's out of contract. And if LAFC wanted to acquire him, they wouldn't do it through the expansion draft. Um, they would do it through free agency, which he's eligible for. So that's how they would pursue him. They wouldn't uh, waste a limited resource, which is their expansion draft spots on a player they can acquire via a different means. So um, even, even if you got into the weeds on it, um, there's still no reason for them to go uh, to pick anyone from DC United, quite frankly. Um, I, I can't imagine Bob Bradley has designs on Jeffrey or Wara, and uh, I can't imagine he has designs on anyone that we've left unprotected, including the guys that aren't aren't coming back, but technically will show up as unprotected because that's the way it works in MLS. Um, the reset button doesn't get hit until after this particular uh, mechanism is done. Right. Um, so, the, you know, we're not going to get the, uh, if you're, if you lose a player in this, you get $50,000 in gam. We're not going to get that. It's not going to happen. Um, I mean, it would be kind of, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Sean Franklin dressing for, LAFC next year. He's a Southern California guy. He spent most of his career with the Galaxy in LA and went to college uh, out there as well. Yeah, I um, like when you meet him. He radiates Southern California in mm-hmm. in a way very few people in DC are right. capable of, and it's not a, not in a bad way. He's he super nice guy, incredibly chill, and just very very SoCal and. I would not be surprised if he wanted to go back and I wouldn't be surprised if Bob Bradley said, yeah, you're the kind of veteran that can help us out for a year or two as we get off the ground. Right. Um, and, and but, have to deal with the whole um, figuring out a price tag that works for everyone involved. Right. Outside of that, but they're not doing that through the, exactly. Draft. They're not going to do it through the expansion draft. If they do great, then it's a win, a very tiny windfall for, for DC United, right. but it, I would expect it to be through free agency uh, or, or, or is he's free agency eligible, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's again, that's how I'd expect that to go. Um, anything else on the expansion draft before we move on to cake or death? Uh, nothing specifically. I, I, I'm. I would caution everyone to um, when LAFC makes their picks, expect for like three or four of those players to end up being traded elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Because that's probably the way this works now is that teams tend to pick players and make deals in place where they say, we'll pick a guy for Team X and we'll trade him to Team X. And they create the deal uh, ahead of time. Yeah, this isn't Um, new. This is how DC United got Dax McCarty when Portland came into the league. Um, And in the last expansion draft, the wave of trades that took place, it was like six trades announced that day because they were all guys getting picked and then traded. and everyone's on board. It's not like the player gets the whiplash of being told you've been picking the expansion draft and then 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, you've been traded already. Um, it's just there's a lot of groundwork being done to lay the lay everything in place so that, you know, such and such gets taken from Seattle and gets traded to uh, Columbus, uh, something like that. It's all it's all worked out. So everyone is on board and everyone knows what's going on. Um, right. Although, although you do be, run into the you do run into the case of the Montreal Impact, seeing what Toronto FC did for, you know, to to draft Rod Diachenko and get some value back for for him in the expansion draft, and say we can do that with Brian Ching. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, that 
you know, take a player for hostage strategy. It's kind of fallen out of, of, of fashion because we found that teams are like, what if we just don't bother? Um, yeah, they, they will say, shoot the hostage. Um, and so uh, I think instead people want their guaranteed value rather than a prolonged negotiation uh, that de- I, I think people found out that Montreal, they thought they were being clever, but they left themselves with a, you know, couple months long negotiation over how much Ching is worth and all this other stuff. Um, Cause Ching actually ended up being there for the start of preseason. Like he right. showed up and trained a couple times before that trade was that trade back to Houston was settled. Um, and that's not a way to enter. You don't want to enter your first season as a club dealing with something like that. Um, and so the, the smarter thing is to do what Atlanta and Minnesota did last year and just sort your deals out well in advance and say like, look, these are the players that are out there. Um, we'll, you're kind of creating your own um, individual market uh, for player X, player Y, player Z. Um, and there's probably, it's probably gonna be a very busy weekend for every MLS general manager. There's probably going to be very long nights, but uh, that's the job. Um, and so it, it's going to get weird. The expansion draft will happen. And then that afternoon and the next day are going to be fairly hectic because LAFC is probably going to move most of their picks elsewhere for whatever they, whatever they're looking for. Right. I, I, as a DC United fan, the thing, given that we're almost certainly not going to have someone selected from, from our team, uh, the thing I would be interested in is if Ben Olson and Dave Casper have been, you know, on the horn with Bob Bradley and his people to try to set up and say, Hey, we expect that this guy might be available. And also these might not be set up yet that they might be set up in the day or two between when the protected lists are released and when the draft actually happens. But, you know, another Dax McCarty type acquisition where like, like you've been talking about, um, you know, there, there, there are always, one or two surprises at least on the unprotected lists. And mm-hmm. when you look more closely, you can kind of see why it happened, but. Or, or we'll hear underlying reasons that made it. So, you know, play, this player was unprotected. That is very valuable. And it turned out that that player wants to leave. So. Right. Um, but at know, the same time, not- right now you have teams that are so deep in Toronto and Seattle that they could come out of MLS cup and all of a sudden will Bruin or you know, some a major contributor to Seattle is is available, mm-hmm. and I I don't know that we would want to pick up Will Bruin, but if there's, you know, there there could be an interesting name out there, right. and that right. would be the thing to look for. Yeah, and and for the MLS Cup teams, I mean, they aren't they aren't making or maybe they've made some of these decisions, but um, this thing takes place like two days after they're back home, um, so uh, it's going to get weird for them especially, but. Um, this is the league we chose. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a significant argument that the expansion draft doesn't need to be in place. Um, and in fact, with some of the expansion teams that come in, like I think Atlanta probably would have preferred to just get more allocation money and be done with it. Um, but that's not on the table. Um, the league continues to have the expansion draft. It used to be 10. Um, uh, and they've, they've moved it down. You you can only take five players. Um, so I think they're drifting towards getting rid of it. Uh, but um, yeah, we're still stuck with this weird uh, process that definitely turns into its own uh, bizarre, you know, multi-legged uh, confusion. The, the whole thing is just a weird thing from start to finish. And 
it's going to be a weird week next week. Let's go to cake or death. Let's let's go to something we're a little more familiar with. So uh, this is weird in its own way because contract decisions have already been made. And so we already know with, with some of these guys, whether they'll be back with the team next year or not. And uh, that's not going to stop us. We're still going to go through. Uh, we're going to finish the roster this week. Um, and we're going to say for each name, whether we want them back on DC United next year or not, this is a decision we completely make in a vacuum. Um, we don't look at contract status. We don't look at, um, well, typically we don't look at salary numbers or anything. We just decide, yeah, I'd like him back or, or no, I wouldn't. First name uh, on the list this week is rookie fullback Chris Aduiachim, Maryland guy, PG County, went to UMD. Uh, absolute burner on the field. Um, speed for days, basically. Uh, didn't see as much of him as I would have liked this year, whether that's on him or on Ben Olsen. I don't, I don't know. But when he did get on the field, there were there were a couple of really intriguing moments, um, especially Jason. Since your scouting report was at Maryland, he was a defense first, second, and third guy, and we saw him get forward some in his few appearances for DC United, and that was exciting. Attacking fullbacks, everyone loves them. So, my question to you: Cake or death? Um, I. I mean, he's gone for the time being, but I would have preferred a goat situation. Um, I don't think he was used often enough. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he did particularly well with the time he got. There were moments that were good. Um, I know a lot of our commenters immediately uh, highlighted his appearance against TFC uh, in the one-one draw that DC held on for. Um, but that was that was a he did do very well in that. But it was a very specific assignment where. Raheem Edwards was brought in to open the game up with his speed. Odoi Atchum came in and neutralized that by being just as fast, if not faster. Um, it was very impressive, but uh, it was also a very specific uh, job that we didn't necessarily see too much of re- being repeated. Um, that said, I, I think that um, that kind of speed would help the team. I mean, we're still talking about a team that could use more speed in a lot of different positions, Um and the fact that he's got experience playing all, all the way across the back. He's played uh, some left back. I actually watched um, at a couple training sessions this year him working uh, as a left back in, in um, uh, scrimmages at the end of uh, the training session. Um, he's played center back. Uh, he went to College Cup playing center back one year for Maryland. Um, so as far as all that goes, I think the versatility is there. Um, I feel like... Uh, DC United has a lesser view of him than most other um, observers, including other teams. Um, I, If he's still available as the winter goes on, it wouldn't shock me to see teams making a angling to bring him in, but they can't because he's a first-year player. Um, United would have to opt to waive him for him to go somewhere. So um, he, it's sort of like a guy in like, living under the nineties MLS rules. Um, it's a weird scenario where um, United's got his MLS rights and they're not sure whether they want to keep him or not. Um, so we, we probably see him in preseason, but uh, we might see a team float an offer for him to, um, to make, to, to bring him in because I mean, we're talking about a guy that was a 
was being argued as the best right back in the draft field. Um, yeah, he I wasn't. Mean, or if you're if you're an independent USL team or you're Indy Eleven mm-hmm. in the NASL, you might say, "Yeah, we will make you an offer right now, guaranteed." And he might he might go down a level for a year or two, and then come back to MLS. And I, I guess DC United would still have his MLS rights at that point. But at that, if he if he does more, he might be more attractive to to other teams and he'd get playing time at that level. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. I I would vote I would like to see him back for all the reasons you said, but I would so so I say cake, but I would harbor him no ill will if he if he signed on at in an ASL or USL club. Next name on the list uh is is Kofi Opare, center back uh, came on strong this year, had a much improved 2017 versus his 2016, which was a bit of a down year for him. He, I, I guess you could say he took advantage of Steve Birnbaum having a down year this year. Um, came in and was arguably the best center back on the team for, for most of the year. And that was not a thing I was expecting to say coming into this year. So cake or death for Kofi, Kofi Opare. Uh, this one's pretty easy. Uh, Opari, I mean, he still has to improve if he's going to be a full-time starter on a team that's good, but, um, at worst, you know, worst case scenario, he's a backup, a, a solid backup. Um, so yeah, uh, go and hopefully he continues to, uh, um, add some consistency because when he, when he's at his best, he's, he's a starting quality player. It's just a matter of how often we saw that player, um, you know, I, I like to see uh, that continue on and him for him to add that consistency to his game, because if that gets there, then maybe we have a competition with him and Burnbaum while adding a third. Hopefully the third player coming in is a sure starter. And then we've got Burnbaum and Opare competing. Um, that's the best case scenario, because then you add that um, that edge to things and, and everyone improves. I, I agree 100 um... percent. He's cake. I'd like to see him come back, and I'd like to see him pushed even more, uh, and and push Birnbaum. And if Birnbaum doesn't recover, um, and and doesn't bounce back from the subpar year for him, then I want Opari to be able to be a high level starter in in that position. Next name, another center back, Jalen Robinson, homegrown player. Um, we know he's coming back next year. My question is, should he be? Uh, what do you say for Jalen? Uh, I think this one's easy as well. Um, I think it's, uh, another goat. Um, I think it would be nice if, uh, Olsen trusted him a little more. I still sense some reticence to field him. Um, but, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of good games out of, uh, the team with Robinson at center back. Um, he's shown, uh, a knack for dealing with bigger forwards, uh, then you you would think you know oh that's not going to work because of his height but he's managed to figure it out. Um, I think the games that he played in where United struggled, it wasn't necessarily that he was in it and that was why they struggled. It was that the team was bad. Um, he played a he had a couple different games p- partnering Sean Franklin at center back, which we know didn't work. Um, so yeah, I, I nobody think, partnering Sean Franklin at center back worked. Right, right, and so. Um, you know, those games were kind of, I don't want to say wasted, but um, they certainly didn't help 
bolster his reputation, but it wasn't necessarily on him. Um, and not to mention the fact that the team around those two were, it was a bad team. So it's hard to be, it's hard to do a good job as a center back when everything around you is going wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see Robinson back and I think he can be in the, um, as part of that competition. Um, it, it depends on what kind of partner, uh, center back has brought in, what kind of new player that isn't on the roster is acquired because, um, maybe Robinson is that person's backup. Maybe they acquire someone who's more of a, uh, a thinker and a um, more comfortable on the ball and a leader. And we go back to the old, um, the, you know, the old uh, standby where Boswell was the organizer and did a little more of the passing work and Burnbaum ended up being more of the athlete. Um, and maybe Robinson can be a backup to uh, a player like that, that comes in and, and lets Burnbaum go back to being that player. Um, but it, that'll be an interesting thing to watch, but, uh, I definitely don't see a reason to get rid of him. Yeah, absolutely not. Robinson has to be back. He's, he's getting cake from me. Um, uh, I am curious whether a, well, for all the reasons you said, um, he's kind of the, in some ways he's what Sean Franklin was supposed to be at center back. He, he's good with the ball at his feet. He, he reads the game well. Um, and he competes as a center back bigger than he actually is. And, and those are all, those are all positives. Um, and I, and I think overcome some of the weaknesses you might expect when you see he, he's not a big guy at all, but he, he plays a lot bigger than he is. Um, I do wonder knowing that MLS is a copycat league and, and seeing the success that Toronto has had out of a three back and that Columbus was able to switch into it. If, if Ben Olsen's going to try to build that club into, into the team next year, not necessarily as a first look, but to be able to do that from time to time. And I think Robinson makes so much sense as one of the marking backs in a mm-hmm. three man back line. Um, and, and I think Birnbaum did really well when he played for the U S national team in that setup too. And if you have a guy in the middle, who's an organizer, right. Then I, I think you add that fourth top line center back to, to this roster. And that's a look that suddenly, at least from the defensive standpoint, the looks viable. And I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen with that. And Robinson, he's, he's not the reason to do that. You don't do that because of right. your, your third or fourth center back, but he he's the type of player that would facilitate that. And Chris Durkin is too, honestly. So United would have some options there. I don't think it's going to happen, but I am, I'm curious. Um, but, but Jalen obviously gets cake from me next up Lloyd Sam uh, attacking outside midfielder came from the Red Bulls, um, did some damage to the Red Bulls last year, which was nice. Uh, this year, uh, excuse me, old and had to deal with that. Uh, not his best year this year. Age caught up with him maybe a little bit. Um, and and when the team made some moves at his position during the uh, the end of the transfer window, bringing in Ariola, bringing in Stevie, uh, he was kind of the odd man out. He's out of contract at the moment, not eligible for free agency. I don't think he's going to go into the re-entry draft, if I'm not mistaken. So 
assuming he he is not taken by someone in the expansion draft or the reentry draft or some other phantom mechanism that shows up this offseason. Who knows? It's MLS. Jason, cake or death for Lloyd Sam? Uh, I actually, for the time being, uh, I lean towards uh, Goat as a um, as an alternate uh, alternative option to Stieber. Um, I think if Sam is thought of as a creative winger rather than a speedster, rather than as a goal-scoring winger, um, if his job is to just create chances for others, which is kind of what Stieber does, um, I think he's a pretty pretty solid option to come in off the bench. And if he's a backup, um, we're not necessarily going to see the effects of him. I believe he turns 33 this offseason or already did. Um, we're not going to see the effects of that number uh, as often because he's not playing 90 minutes week in and week out. Um, so so I think that it, it it helps United keep their the script more or less the same. Um, they're just plugging in a slightly lesser player into that role um, without having to make everybody else change how they play. It would be different if, you know, the next best winger on the team was just another out-and-out speedster and Stieber's out or um, maybe as the as he'll have to in the opener, uh, Stieber's playing in the middle um, because Acosta's going to be suspended get, due to getting that red card in the finale. Um, if you play two out-and-out speedsters that want to stay wide – you have to adjust a lot of other things in central midfield. Whereas if you say, okay, Sam is going to play the Stieber role. He's going to play it, you know, his, in his style, but it's still generally speaking the same role. The tweaks there are not so numerous and it's a lot easier to bring everyone up to speed. Um, Now that said, you know, if they go out and find a better version of that player uh, or an equal version who can be signed for less money, or is younger then yeah, uh, I'd be, you know, I'd be more than willing to consider that. But as of the, as of now, that's not a, the case. So um, I think United should be in negotiations to keep him around because I think he's got so he's still got some real value. I mean, in I think it's forty three appearances, he's got five goals and twelve assists. Um, that's not bad. Um, and even though this last season was a struggle a lot of the time. When United uh, was able to create, oftentimes Lloyd Sam was in the thick of it. Yeah, and that that last point is why I'm landing on cake as well. There, there's a part of me that that says he was part of a a terrible team and a terrible attack, and he couldn't finish when he needed to. He couldn't create for long stretches when no one else on the team could either, and just clean clean break start over but when the team was doing anything he was often a part of it and i think you're right coming off the bench he he might be more dangerous than he was as a starter or or as a spot starter rather than every week thing especially with father time bearing down on him so i somewhat hesitantly give give him cake Marcelo Sarvas, I'm less hesitant about. I'm not giving him cake. Um, Marcelo has has done some things with DC United, good and bad. This year, he, he kind of forgot how to tackle, it seemed like. He had some interesting stats I know you, you found, um, especially with the ball, ball at his feet. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's enough to, to keep him around, especially at his age. He's, he's even older than Sam, I want to say. Um, but I, I I would give him death 
if he wants to come back, make him a coach, put him on the bench, uh, but but not on the field in 2018. Uh, I know that it's unpopular to have too many positive things to say about him, um, especially, I mean, fans were very frustrated to see him continuing to start when the season was, was a lost cause because of his age as compared to Ian Harks. Um, but United had some, some trouble uh, succeeding without him alongside Canals. They never really found a way to uh, protect the defense unless it was those two together. Um, the fact is that none of the other on the roster filling in as a, as an eight had the defensive usage that uh, Marcelo was able to consistently produce. Um and those things do have value. Um, I mean, there are issues. I mean, he did have some – he tended to have turnover. He, he didn't have a lot of turnovers, but he tended to turn the ball over in bad spots. Um, yeah, his, and, his high leverage moments were yeah, um, he tends very to be, rarely successful. Right. He tends to be easy to beat on the dribble. I think yeah. he was one of the – other than Matias Lava, whose numbers on that are, like, off the charts um, – I think Marcelo was, was second in the league in terms of number of times he's dribbled past uh, in a 90-minute game, um, which is a bad stat to have for a defensive midfielder because yes. if you get beaten on the dribble in the middle, mm-hmm. your team's in trouble. Um, you, you can't afford to have – he was up above two per game, and you can't really afford to have that happen once a game. Um, so, yeah, um, there are some good and bad indicators with him, um, but I do find myself wondering how United builds – in the midfield, if they can't figure out how to bring up uh, Harks's uh, defensive uh, side of the game, where he's he's winning more of these balls, he's producing more recoveries, um, winning tackles, and making interceptions. Um, that's a hard thing to replace because it's one of those. Uh, it's it's mostly a mental thing. It's not so. I mean, you can go get a superior athlete and just let them go crazy, um, but that player tends to run that kind of player tends to run themselves out of proper positions. Um, if, if people have seen a Jermaine Jones uh, in MLS uh, highlight reel, you've probably seen him running out to the touchline for no good reason. And then the galaxy would concede. And um, you know, then I guess he could go on Instagram and complain that it's all everyone else's fault. Um, but it, you know, you've got to find that happy medium where a guy you, you find a player that's able to win those tackles, but isn't running himself at, out of useful positions um, to try and produce them. You, you know, you want to produce them in the right spots as much as anything else. And Marcelo did a pretty good job of that. Um, I still, I, I skew towards Fox, but I definitely understand the team's argument for keeping him in games down the stretch. And I understand why they're still thinking he might uh, have a role to play. Um especially if he's not necessarily a starter, if they can find somebody else uh, as well in there, or maybe, um, I mean, I, I say that, but then I, it just occurred to me that Jared Jeffrey is still on the roster. Um, so you start to run out of roster spots for central midfielders. Um, it's a tricky situation uh, for sure, because they've got to figure out a way to get Marcelo's defensive numbers and his defensive utility and combine that with what Ian Harks brings to the table. Um, that's the ideal scenario, and that is probably where they're going with it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's Fox, but it's not as certain for me as, as maybe it might seem. 
See, what I'm taking away from that is that you just ruined any chance you and I had of co-hosting Jermaine Jones' radio show. Well, we don't live in L.A. I feel like a lot of these suggestions... You know what? Jermaine Jones has some money. He would have moved one of us. His request was specific. You had to live in L.A. And all the suggestions I saw for that were people that didn't live in L.A. Um, And it it bothered me a lot. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm glad I got to help you get that off your chest. (laughs) Zoltan Stieber is next. Z's up. Um, Obviously, cake. There's... I will harbor no disagreement on this. He came in, he um, helped the team in transition. He worked more than I thought he was going to on, on both sides of the ball. I shared a brain with Lucho Acosta for a few brief wondrous moments on the field. Um, And I, and I think that, you know, hopefully presages more, uh, more of those in the future and a, a bright future in black and red for Zoltan. I give him cake. Uh, yeah, this is one of the easiest ones of the season. Um, uh, Zoltan's game is pretty awesome. Um, he's the kind of player that plays, uh, you know, Johan Cruyff used to say you, you, you play with your brain and Zoltan plays with his brain. Um, he's always finding himself in these little pockets that no one else knew were going to be there. He, he picks them out. Um, and he has that technical ability where even if he doesn't have the space that you would expect him to be able to do work in, he still manages to get the ball where it needs to go. Um, defenders did not seem to know what quite quite what to do with him. Um, the fact that he has that strong relationship with uh, Lucho Acosta is, is potentially very big. Um, the fact that he has that uh, powerful uh, long-range shot, his free kicks uh, being such a threat, adds something that has been uh, sorely lacking uh, for DC United for a couple of years now. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I expect him to have a very big season. Even if DC United isn't very good, I think Zoltan is going to be very good, regardless of how the whole team does. So uh, I say uh, go, definitely. And if one of our listeners is the hero out there, who added DC United to the Zoltan hand sign Wikipedia page, let us know. We will call you out yes. uh, and, and give you all the props because you are a true American hero in 2017 and deserve whatever good things come to you. Next name on our list, Rob Vincent. He did not deserve the bad things that came to him this year. He uh, lost almost the entire year to injury after kind of finding his place in central midfield. Um, if you'll remember back to the beginning of last year and before, he was a wide attacking midfielder for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, came in and everyone assumed that's where he would play for DC United because he scored a boatload of goals at the USL level. Came in and it turned out he was really more of a deep-lying central midfielder. That was his more natural position and that's where he was better in MLS because there's more space there than there is in when you're attacking from the wing in MLS. It's a little bit different than USL in that respect. And he he made a little place for himself there. And uh this year basically lost all the cartilage in his knee. Yeah. And I don't know that he will come back to play from that. And this is one of those moments where I'm I'm sad that years ago I, I chose cake or death because I have to give him death and he doesn't serve it. Yeah, um, it's the numbers in the midfield also point towards 
someone having to make way and the fact that um, we don't know if Rob Vincent's knee is ever going to allow him to be as effective as he was in 2016. He was low key, the best option on the team in that, in that role. Um, But when you have a knee surgery that apparently didn't go all that well, because it turned from that classic quote unquote keyhole surgery um, to prefer to to repair the meniscus. And all of a sudden I think he made the joke um, uh, four weeks to seven months. Um, And he still had at the end of the season, he was still having knee pain. Um, He was still having symptoms from it. Um, You know, I don't know how long that's going to take to come around. It might be a long time. It might be just, you know, a couple months rest and he builds up his fitness and he's back to fine. He just needed to shut it down. It might be one of those scenarios. Um, there's a lot. Once you get into this surgery that the doctors performed didn't go as planned, you get into, you know, a many, a, a large range of possibilities. And that's not really what you want. What you want is to know what's going to happen um, and for it to follow that course. So, um, uh, I mean, I, I say Fox, but at the same time, if he were to show up in preseason and earn himself uh, a contract that way, it wouldn't shock me if he came back and were uh, his knee was no longer a problem, then it wouldn't shock me to see him land himself a deal. And maybe, you know, maybe Jared Jeffrey ends up in, on the outs. Uh, maybe um, Marcelo isn't brought back. I, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities there. Um the X factor being Chris Durkin, we haven't really mentioned in all of these uh, midfield discussions, but um, if Chris Durkin is making a, a sustained real push for those minutes, then it makes the decision easier for DC United. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation that we're not talking about his ability. We're talking about a knee that didn't cooperate and, and isn't healing up, or at least the last time we heard anything wasn't healing up as planned. And that's, you know, every, every athlete should get to end their career on either on their terms or at least like, okay, I can't hack it anymore. It's fine. Um, Rather than I can't, I don't get to find out how long I could have or how good I could have been because my body just didn't let me. Exactly. That's exactly right. I, I would love for him to come back. I just don't see it happening. Right. Uh, Travis Wara is the the last name on the roster for us. He's one of two names that was unprotected on our expansion draft list for DC United. Um, he's projected to be the third goalkeeper, despite there only being two goalkeepers on the roster at the moment. Um, I think the plan for him will be to go to Richmond again, next year keep getting minutes and see if he can improve and eventually fight his way uh into the 18 rather than being on assignment next year um in that role i have no problem with him being the third goalkeeper so with that as the context i say cake yeah i'm i'm fine with with war filling the the um the third string role going forward um I definitely was disappointed in what I saw in 2017. Um, I think he was markedly worse uh, this year than he was last year. And I think, I I think he's very prone to swings of confidence affecting his form when that happens a lot with every goalkeeper. But I think even in that, even if you accept that as the norm, he's very prone to those swings. Um, 
when he's fully confident, he looks like, uh, you know, he could start for a few teams. But this season, and obviously with DC United being bad, it's hard to stay confident when you're a goalkeeper because at the end of the day, goalkeepers breed their confidence on not letting goals go in. And if your team is very bad, eventually the ball is going to go past you regardless of how superhuman you are. Um, and seeing those balls go past him, um, it shakes you. And I don't think he ever recovered from uh, the early season. The team was bad. You know, the vibe wasn't very good around the team. And, and he gave up a couple of soft goals. And he just never got back into uh, a good place. Um, and it was interesting when he went down to Richmond, he would uh, – he had a few good games. He saved a penalty kick in his – I think it was like – early in his first game with kickers. I might have the order of that wrong, but he definitely did save a penalty kick almost immediately upon being loaned down there. Um, so there are things that can be done to help him rebuild that belief um, and get him back to where he was. But for the time being, um, I'm going to trust the team's judgment. You know, it's hard to say where Wara is versus Klonowski because Klonowski only had, I want to say only one appearance for the kickers. Um, Wara only had a handful um, or did play for DC United a couple times this year. Klonowski didn't. So it's really difficult to make a judgment between the two of them. Uh, so I'm going to trust the team and, and assume that, uh, Wara won the job in training, uh, and gets that, ch- that chance to prove that he can be the guy we saw in 2016 when Hamid was injured, that was confident and, you know, posted a few shutouts. I, I believe a couple road shutouts too. Um, so we know where he can be if he has that confidence. And the next step for him is obviously, um, you know, flattening that out. So it's not peaks and valleys and it's just a consistently um, solid product where we're not worried where his head is when he has to start a game. Anything else you want to talk about tonight? Uh, No. <laughs> I'm just happy we got to, you know, finish recording this before, uh, the internet inevitably explodes on us. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a, I mean, that's good for us. Uh, you know, Ben is fighting a battle with the internet, but we're not. Yeah. He, so last I heard he was still on the phone. He, he said he had gone to get his, uh, his phone charger from the bedroom. So he was in it for the long haul. Um, send him canned goods, beverages, whatever send it to down there to ben bromley somewhere in the richmond area i bet if you address it it'll get there to him i you know what <laughs> just drop it off they'll find it. yeah just put it in the mail the people of richmond will find ben ben bromley somewhere near richmond or the greater the greater richmond area yeah. yeah it'll it'll get to him they're they're you know southern hospitality that's what they do down there they help you out or so i'm told Anyway, thank you all for listening to the mess that was this episode and every episode of Filibuster. Find us at blackandredunited.com. You can find us writing about DC United and lots of other things there. Um, If you feel like supporting us financially, monetarily, go to patreon.com slash filibuster. That's where you can uh, make a monthly pledge to us and and help us out in a, a very concrete way. Uh, if you want to interact with us on the internet, we're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, 
the Internet Archive, wherever you get your podcasts. We're probably there. So if you're not subscribing to us, please do. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, if you feel like giving us a rating and review, I'm told that helps us out. I'm, I, I choose to believe those people who tell me that. So we'd appreciate that. Mostly, though, the biggest thing you can do for us, tell a friend about the show. Um, we'd really appreciate it if you did that. So for Jason and the absent Ben, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Internet. It had a good run. <laughs>